Thank you, guys. That's good. That's that needs to remain important to us, and uh, we need to be we need to be the active prayer team uh, for that for that work. Are we all in agreement with that? Um, I told Dan on Friday night we got dinner uh, for Eva's birthday, and actually we're celebrating Dan or uh, Caroline and Eva's birthday on Friday night. Isn't that sweet? That's what old people do. They do stuff like that. Uh, so we got dinner. And we talked about it, and I've determined that I am going to be the, uh, the uh, sorry, the job has been taken. I am the prayer team leader for uh, the Lee Summit Church plant. So, sorry, guys. <laughs> That's my new job. So, we will, we will stay updated on that. You want to be the assistant? Yeah, okay. So, we are in Romans chapter 1. So, let's get there, and let's be ready to do some work. Uh, the whole point of us being in Romans is that uh, we, as a group, as a class, need to be reminded or we need to learn the power of the gospel. And we've talked about this. Romans is a unique letter in that more than any other of the epistles, it is the gospel. It is the heart of the gospel. In fact, it informs the four gospels that we've been given. It informs the way that we apply them and understand them as New Testament believers. Romans is a crucial book. And by way of review, uh, this letter was written by Paul in Corinth in 56 AD. And the letter was written in anticipation that he would be coming to to Rome. His desire was to go and meet with the Romans for really for the first time. He hadn't done that yet. And he was anticipating that opportunity. And he knew that there was some controversy there. He knew that the the believers there were young in many ways. And he wanted to go and, and walk them through some doctrinal things, some things that he saw as important and necessary for the churches there, okay? And so he writes this letter ahead of his coming, just, just so that they be prepared for the things that he was going to teach and instill in them uh, in, the time that he would, uh, in the time that he would be there. So we just finished up the introduction, and now we're going to get into the meat and potatoes, right? Woo! Which makes me hungry. I, I shouldn't have said that. I regret <laughs> saying that. But we're going to get into the meat of it. Okay, we're going to get right into it. And so we're going to start covering some of the more doctrinal stuff this morning. And so I need you to pay very close attention. And for those of you who are into this type of thing, you should probably take notes. Okay? Yeah, this, that's, let, me, let me cross this bridge real quick. Some of you have been coming to church for a long time. And you uh, are in directions, or you've been discipled, and you haven't figured out yet. There's this... The, when we want to study something, we write important things down. Okay, Not because I'm very smart, but the Bible is, is amazing. And so when you come to something that gets you, right, you should probably write that down. Instead of just staring at me, you know, the, the, best, the best students in here are the ones that do this. Okay, the ones that do this. I just can't believe that you're getting what you're supposed to. I, just I have a hard time with that. So let's learn to be note takers, okay? All right. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Let's do it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Do we believe that this morning? Yes. We are, we, God gave us an opportunity to be saved from our sins. And some of you don't know about this yet, but you are a sinner. 
And, and maybe you only know this because your heart has condemned you. Maybe you only know this because you know that you've lied to your mommy or your daddy. Yeah, you know that you've sinned before. Okay? But maybe what you didn't know is that God gave us a way to himself through Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we call that the gospel. We call that the good news. And when you accept that, it is the most powerful event that will ever take place in your life because it sets you free. It delivers you from the bondage of this world. You understand? Are you with me so far? And Paul, what Paul is saying here is that if the gospel is true, if salvation is real, then it is not to be ashamed of. It is the, it is the one thing that's not to be ashamed of. Now, growing up, I was often ashamed of my brothers and sisters, my siblings. There are things in the world to be ashamed of, right? Like, oh, man. They're just always embarrassing, right? There's things in life that you, you feel ashamed of, right? Things that, that, that you regret, resent, right? Let that never be true of the gift that Jesus Christ gave you. It should be the thing that's on your lips all the time. It should be the one thing that you desire to speak in every given moment, right? Do not be ashamed of the gospel that Jesus Christ has given you. And then he says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, we're going to get into that more in the second chapter. We'll come back to that. Okay, the Jew-Greek thing. We're going to have plenty of time to cover that. But let's look at verse 17, because this is where we really start to, to dissect the passage. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, faith to faith, as it is written. The just shall live by faith. So our first question this morning is, what is it that's being revealed? Okay, so let's, let's really understand this for what it says. What is it that's being revealed? For therein is righteousness of God revealed. Well, we know that, the, that God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel. So the next question is, by what means? Right? By what means? How is it revealed? And the answer is there for us. It says, from faith to faith. Which is a fancy way of saying that one faithful person delivers to other faithful people the message of Jesus Christ. That God's methodology for which he wants to see the world saved is one person speaking out, one faithful individual speaking out to another and instilling faith into another person. And this is going to be the crux of what we talk about in Kaya. In the weeks and months and years to come, are you a person that is obedient to this? Are you delivering? Are you a faith-filled person delivering faith from faith to faith? Are we discipling? Are we investing? Are we speaking out? Are we having Bible studies on our campuses? Are we meeting in coffee shops and in homes speaking the truth of Jesus Christ in any given moment? What is your life about? And Christ wants to reveal his righteousness through you from faith to faith. Understood? For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, now Paul continues on in a stream of logic, and so you need to follow with me. In verse 18, something else is revealed. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold. Okay, now this word hold means keep or possess. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So what is revealed? Here's this question again. What is revealed in verse 18? God's wrath is revealed. But why is it revealed? 
Why does God want to reveal his wrath? Why does, why does he have to do that? Why is he brought to the point where he has to reveal his judgment? And he answers that for us. It's revealed in response to the wickedness of men. The wicked actions of mankind. The unrighteousness of people. His wrath is revealed. How else? In wicked stewardship of his word. Neglect of of biblical truths that have been given to them in faith or instilled in them by God. See, this is the point, that God wants his righteousness revealed to the world. But for those people who refuse it, for those people who choose to walk in unrighteousness, for those people who, who choose to handle God's word unfaithfully as a poor steward, he is brought to a place where he has to reveal his wrath. He has to reveal his, his judgment. He has to chastise those who, who refuse to follow him in righteousness. Do you understand? In other words, mankind is responsible for how they regard and respond to God's words. So then the question continues. At this point, at this point in the chapter, this is a fair place to ask a very important question that many of you have maybe heard before. Okay? The question becomes, why must God's wrath be revealed? Why are people in the world held accountable to a Christian message when many people in the world have never exposed, have been exposed to biblical teaching? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Right? Or maybe you've been asked this question before. Why would God judge a world that are full of people, some of which who've heard the gospel plainly, and some of which who live in places in the world, remote places in the world, where it would be very difficult for them to hear the gospel message, the full gospel? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why would God send people to hell? who've never heard the name of Jesus Christ? And it's a very valid question. It's a valid question. It's one that you should be ready to respond to. So, our first question is, key question, are all the people in the world accountable for accepting God? That slide looks different than it did before. Did you change that? It didn't keep the format. Goodness gracious, wickedness of PowerPoint. So wicked. God's wrath be revealed. So this is, there's this hypothetical question. Are the people of the world, why are they held accountable for accepting Jesus Christ? Okay? So let's continue on because Paul addresses that here in his letter. Verse 19. Oh, that's prettier. There you go. Okay, nice. Good. Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. Okay? This is important. This is an important important statement. The world is held accountable because the world knows the truth. They know the truth. Even if you don't think that they do, God has given them an opportunity to choose him. The word may be known means be acquainted with. Be acquainted with. The, The word there, may be known, is one Greek word that means to be acquainted. Okay? In other words, God 
has made himself known. He's acquaint, people have acquainted themselves with God because he has shown them who he is. He's revealed himself to them. Now, this may have been in faith, faith to faith, right? In some cases, God reveals himself because, well, you had a class with a professor named Dan Renault, and he talks about Jesus all the time. Maybe that's how God revealed himself to you. Maybe, maybe your parents taught you the truth of the gospel from an early age, and they instilled in you the truths of the word. And so faith to faith, the word of God came to you, and you are accountable to what's been given to you in whatever measure it's been instilled. Okay? But the point is that God promises here that he's going to show all of mankind who he truly is. He's going to do that. And you need not be so concerned with the methodology in which he uses. Because he will make his name known. He will make his name excellent in this world. With or without you as the messenger. It says God showed it, uh, showed it to them. God revealed his truth by appealing to, to, and we'll get into this in verse 20, by appealing to their minds through the evidence of creation and their hearts by the sheer power of his hand. That's how God reveals himself. So let's look at verse 20. Let's address this. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. This is the point that's being made. Creation displays such a precise message of God's eternal power. Okay, now by eternal power, if you study out the word eternal in scripture, what it refers to is quite literally all of eternity. So through creation, is what we're going to get to, is we can see the eternal nature of who God is. And if God is an eternal being, then he, answer, he has an answer for our, our eternal problem. Do you understand that? The logic is not, is not difficult. If we look out on creation and we see it for what it is, we should be able to understand by, by that which we see that there is a God that made all things. Are you with me? There's a God that made all things, and it's been ordered and orchestrated. And by looking at it, we can see that he is an eternal God. He exists without, with, outside of us. He is not like us. The way the Hindu gods of this world uh, would be looked at is that their gods, their gods are just like us. They live amongst us. They struggle with the same problems. The Hindu gods may be eternal, but they're wicked and they're limited, aren't they? This is a God not like the gods that are made up in this world. This God lives outside of us. And when we look at his creation, we should be able to see his eternal power. And if he has eternal power, then he has the ability to save us from an eternal damnation. And the condemnation that even our heart, like, guys, uh, John chapter 3. Jesus says this thing. It's really interesting. He says, I came not into this world to condemn you. Because your hearts already condemned you. Like you've already been condemned. In other words, my point is, is it doesn't take much for a person to come to the conclusion that they don't match the eternal power and beauty of the creation around them. And that there's something off. 
There's something that's not right. And their heart condemns them. I am a liar. I am a thief. I am wicked. I am a murderer. And from the very beginning of my life, I was set on a trajectory and a path of sinfulness and wickedness. And when we look out at creation, we should understand our own condemnation. Let's talk about this a little bit more. Look at uh, Psalm 19. Go ahead and turn there. Psalm 19. Because we have a hard time, because our, our worldly reasoning gets in the way, God gives us an illustration for how this might work in a person's mind. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. The example of creation revealing God's nature is shown to us through the sun and the moon. And I mentioned this just briefly uh, this morning in, in our announcements. But let's look at this verse and let's see, let's see how God, God's logic works. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth this handiwork. Day day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Now let me break this down just a little bit. The, The very heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, the Bible says that they verbalize. Now you might not be able to understand that. But the heavens, the sun and the moon, have a voice. And they declare to mankind the eternal nature of of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. God's handiwork, in other words, his hands applied to creation, should have the residue of his fingerprints all over them. You know, uh, when I... When I make a painting, which I do sometimes, rarely nowadays, but when I make a painting or I make a piece of artwork, you would be able to take a black light to it and find my genetic code all over that thing. In fact, a lot of times, like my hair, have you ever had this, any of the people who paint? You would not realize it, but you'll start a painting and a hair follicle will fall into the paint and you just like sometimes just keep painting over it. At least like, I do that. And it leaves, my genetic code is behind. My my fingerprints are all over that uh, because I made it. I spent time with it. And the same thing is true of the handiwork of God. His fingerprints are all over that thing. And when you look at it, you should be able to see the evidence of who he is. Day unto day uttereth speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge. In verse 2, it says that the cycle of day and night speaks to us the knowledge of God. The message that the sun and moon communicate transcends our language, doesn't it? In other words, there's people in this world, guys, I took five semesters of Spanish. Okay, let me be real honest with you. If someone needed the gospel in Spanish, Albero, I would fail your people. I would need a translator because because I I can't communicate well. In Spanish, I just can't do it. And thank God, well, there's other people that speak Spanish, that know the gospel, because I couldn't do it. But the beauty of God's creation is that it transcends the nature of our, of our dialects and our language. In India, there are over a thousand dialects, a thousand languages, and there are people groups, small people groups all over India that have never received the message of Jesus Christ in their language. It just has never happened. Because Satan has scattered the people. And his plan is wicked. 
And it includes the dispersing of language. And in so doing, those people still do not have an excuse. Because when they look out on the heavens, they should be able to see in their own language the very nature of who God is. Every person on earth has the capacity to recite the declaration of the heavens simply because their head can turn upwards and and observe its epic narrative. You understand? You can be set into a path of knowing God simply by looking up and saying yes. Now, I can't explain to you the mystery of that and the nuances of that, but God promises that the person that's willing to say yes to the message of the sky that he will provide a, true, a, a path of truth in righteousness. He will give them away. Verse 4, their, their line has gone out through all the earth. The word line means the precision and the accuracy of the path of the sun and the moon, right? They're set in a path. They're set in a course. And the way that they revolve around the earth, they speak of God's consistency, don't they? His faithfulness. They tell us who he is. And their words to the end of the world, in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. See, the sun and the moon are consistent. They're precise. And they're a declaration every single day and every single night as they spin around our earth. And they tell us that, that he, that God, has set a tabernacle for his son. And the message of the son is this, that there is a son of righteousness. There is one that in the, in the midst of darkness revealed himself. You know, when I'm driving to work in the mornings, I, I, um, it's, really, it's, usually, it's usually dark when we get in the car. It's like, I mean, we wake up at 5 in the morning. I get the kids dressed. It's a rough existence, okay? I get them dressed, um, to get them to the center in Lee Summit. Um, we load into the car. And every morning, my children say the same thing. Every morning, where is the moon? Where's the moon? Right? Because it's so early, right, that they're looking for the moon. And you know what? They have to look for it. And sometimes my, my daughter, who's on one side of the car, can't see it. But my son, who's on one side, on the other side of the car, can see it. It's over here. And he can tell her about the moon. And he does. He says that this morning, he's like, he'll tell his sissy, he calls her sissy, uh, this, the, the moon looks like a fingernail. Isn't that cool? And every morning, one of them is communicating to the other what they see. What a testimony, right? But what they're waiting for, a lot of times this is what they'll say, because we get later into the school year, we get into the spring, and the sun begins to creep up before we get to the babysitter. And in that message, I tell them about how Jesus Christ is like that sun. In the the midst of darkness, in the darkness of our lives, Jesus Christ wants to reveal himself and he wants to make daddy's path clear to work. He wants to cast his son on the road so that I know where I need to go, that I can see with clarity. And that sun burns with a fervent heat, doesn't it? We know that in August. That sun casts judgment on the whole earth. And it burns away the grass, it, it withers away. 
There is a message. Do not be deceived. Don't let your worldly logic that God has somehow abandoned people in this world, that he's somehow for some people in this world withholding the truth of who he is, that's a lie from Satan. And it keeps so many people from actually believing Jesus Christ because they ask themselves this question and they don't have a reasonable answer. And the answer is this, that God has promised to us that every person in this world, he will show who he is. And by faith, we believe Romans chapter 1, and we say, yes, 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 he will. He will do that. I mean, verse 5 says, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. What is significant for you to know is that God made creation to tell us a story. A story of the one true Christ. You know, uh, on Tatawan, <laughs> isn't there two sons? I think so. Let's talk about Star Wars again. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Star Wars, Star Wars, isn't that, that's where, like, where Luke grew up, right? I think that there's two sons, like in the movie, when his, when his aunt and uncle die. You guys remember that? And he's standing there, Right? And he looks out on the horizon, there's two sons. What a wicked, wicked thing. Two sons. God made the world with one son. Didn't he? And in that, we can know that there is only one true God. One true Christ. One true Redeemer. And the sun itself uh, rises over the horizon every morning to tell the world the story of a single God whose light reveals all things, whose heat is fervent and judges the whole world. I'm sorry, I've made myself out to be like a Star Wars junkie, and I am not. I have a five-year-old son. I had to be Darth Vader. I'm learning so much about Star Wars. Did you guys see me on Halloween at the trunk or treat? I was dressed as Darth Vader, and I'm really not, I'm not quite at peace with what being a dad is turning me into, okay? But let's look at another example. Go, go ahead so here's a cool picture. I had inc- you got to include pictures and in slideshows so that you guys don't get bored. If I was real good, I'd have a video playing. Sorry about that. Um, so in the creation, we can look out in the heavens, and in a big way, we can see who God is. But you know, the truth is, we can see God in the most minute things as well. And and the, what this is right here, this is called an ATP. Uh, uh, an ATP. What? Help me. Ace, Ace? ATP Ace. ATP Ace. My notes say it's ATP synthase enzyme. Is that good? Is that, a, is that fine? What? I'm trying to look. I'm not questioning her. I'm just saying my notes. I did my research. Look, I'm not, look I, I don't want you to know how I did on the ACT in the science portion. I don't want you to know that. But I, I have Google, okay? And I can appear smart even when I'm not. I can do research, okay? Now listen to me. The ATP ACE is a small motorized enzyme that produces energy for cells, okay? And the reason that it's significant is it's clearly mechanically engineered. It's clearly was created at the hand of a designer. Now listen to me. It's so small that 100,000 of these enzymes... (laughs) would only take up, if they line themselves up, a millimeter of space, right? 
very, very small. And each one was crafted and engineered because they have a motor. You know, the, the reason this is significant is because science today wants to tell us that everything in our biology is the result of, of, of organic chemical processes, okay? Now, you're going to look at me look at me weird if I say something wrong. This, she's going to keep me in check, like, from here on, isn't she? It's okay. You're agreeing? Okay, good. Okay, and, and so the thing is about chemicals is that chemicals cannot produce anything as well-crafted as the mechanization of your body. They just can't do it. It didn't happen that way. And the point is is this. This enzyme had to have existed in order for the first cell to have existed. And it's clear that evolution is a farce in light of of the, the engineering of this small enzyme. So both at the biggest level the moon and the sun revolving around the earth, and at the smallest micro level, we find God's hand. He reveals himself in his creation, and we are without excuse. And the truth is, the more that we know, the more we are without excuse. And that's how we get into our next point. Nature is God's continual invitation to mankind to re-enter a conversation with him. And I say re-enter, and I'll get to this in a minute. That's an important word. He wants to reveal more and more truth to those who are open to receiving even the simplest messages. This is why we are without excuse. In verse 20 it says, so that they are without excuse. You are accountable for what what God has given you. See, here's the deal. All humanity once had truth, didn't they? Isn't that kind of what the story of Adam and Eve is? Right? That our greatest grandparents, they had truth. They walked They walked with God in the garden. They knew the truth. And through sin, and throughout time, and throughout a history of rejecting God, mankind has repeatedly come into a place where they're not even willing to hear the simplest message that God gives them. And that's why God is inviting people through nature and through creation to constantly re-enter into a dialogue with him. His hand is extended. But we have to understand that we are accountable for what we know. So regardless of where we were born or what our lot in life is, okay, so, so in this hypothetical scenario, whether we are a student sitting in a biology class at your university or whether you're an elderly man sitting in a remote area of the world, in the Melanesian Islands, staring up at a volcano, and that is the measure of truth that you've received, then you are accountable to receive it. That is what you're accountable for. And that brings us to our first key point. God holds us accountable for the truth we have been given, not for what we have not been given, You understand? This is a beautiful principle. And it's God's grace to us. That he only ever just holds us us accountable to the truth that he's extended to us. Like, like how could we be held accountable? Like, it's a fair question. How could we be held accountable to things that we don't know? Well, you're not. 
You're just accountable to what's been given to you. And, and the truth is, what's been given to you is more than you know. More than you're willing to, than you're willing to respond to. And this, there's, there's like the parable of the talents. I, okay, there's some verses up here that, that display this principle. So if you want to look at that, please do so. That principle exists throughout Scripture. We're just going to look at one instance. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Did you guys get that? Have you copied this down? I know sometimes I move too fast. You got that? Okay, let's go to the next slide. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, But he that knew not and did, this is in the context of a parable, and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whosoever much is given, of him shall be much required, and to whom, whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Okay, so this is the point. It's to a person who has only received a small measure of information, they're only to be held accountable for that small bit of information. If all they're given is the sun and the moon, then they're accountable to respond to that. But let me explain something. That's pretty damning for us. See, the Bible teaches that if God has committed the truth of himself to a person in the story of the stars, then that person is accountable to respond to the gospel that he has received. But for us, likewise, if God commits unto, the, unto a person the entirety of his word and the nuances of his character through his holy word, then he is commanded to obey it completely. So here, this is my point. What excuse do you have for not following God when you've been given so much? What excuse do you have for not responding to the message that God has so clearly given to you? I'm telling you, listen to me. We've all received a measure of truth. And you are responsible for that. The next key point. Your spiritual growth, believer, is contingent on how you respond to the faith proposition you are facing right now. What is it that God's presented to you? What faith proposition do you stand in front of the same way someone in, 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 in a remote place in the world looks up to the heavens and there's a faith proposition looking him right in the face? How are you responding to the faith proposition that God's put in front of you? to the truth that you have that's led you to this point and to this decision to follow him. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Even, I'm, oh gosh, go back. Go back. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I get on a roll, you know. And we have a limited amount of time, right, to cover all this. Here, let me say this while you're writing this down. I don't know every one of you very well. Like I, I know some of you kind of well. I know some of you well. But I don't know every one of you very well. And you know what? God knows you very well. He knows you very, very well. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And there's not a one of us in this room that calls themselves, well, really, there's not a single person in this room who isn't standing face to face with God. And at some level, he has revealed to you something 
that's going to demand of you faith. And if you are going to follow Jesus Christ, you, you should respond with a yes, a yes, sir. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, this principle is displayed. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. In other words, God's not going to give you things that aren't for you. In time, he is going to hold you accountable for the next step in your faith. That's how life works. And if you're a baby, you're accountable for baby things. And if you are a teenager, you're accountable for teenager things. And if you are a full-grown adult, you are accountable for adult things. And whatever step in, in, in faith and in your walk you're at, you're accountable for just what God has for you in that moment. And all you can do is say yes to that. You know, I know a lot of believers who struggle to say yes to the faith proposition before them because they're really concerned about what the faith proposition, proposition next week might look like. They're worried about what's going to come later on. And they're afraid that they won't be able to respond rightly. They, they, they're afraid that they don't have the faith to endure the, the, the difficulties that come later on down the path. You don't need to be concerned with that. See, all you should be concerned with is what God's calling to you right now. Where, where, where are you? Say yes to that. That's a beautiful, beautiful, grace-filled principle. So the question is this, in closing, will you be faithful with the measure of truth that God has committed to you? Have you been given the gospel? Then why aren't you evangelizing? If God committed the gospel to you, and you know who Jesus Christ is, then why aren't you sharing it? That's a faith proposition. Here's another tough one. Did God bring you to this church? Did God bring you to this church? And if so, then why haven't you bought in? Why haven't you bought in? That's a faith proposition for you. Have you been discipled? Have you been invested in? Then why aren't you discipling others? That's a faith proposition. It's the next step, isn't it? Have you been taught and developed to be a leader? Then why aren't you stepping up to lead? For some of you, you know exactly what God has revealed to you. And your struggle to submit to that and make excuses have prolonged God's development of you. His growth of you. And let me warn you of something. Those excuses are not going to hold up at the judgment seat of Christ. They're just not going to hold up. Well, God, I was afraid. Is that, what, is that really what you're going to say? God, I was, I was afraid to say yes to that thing. I was, I was uncomfortable evangelizing. I was uncomfortable talking to people I don't know very well. God, I, I know that what you taught me, but, 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 but that, that's not going to fly. When you stand before Jesus Christ. And likewise, some of you this morning who actually aren't saved, you, you don't know what it means to be accepted in the beloved. You don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your faith proposition is very simple. Jesus Christ died for you. 
And He's inviting you to know Him. And you have to say yes to what's in front of you. You're not accountable for anything else except for that decision this morning. Job describes a man who looks into the heavens and recognizes God's eternal power and yet chose to glorify himself. Job chapter 21, verse 26 says, If I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart hath been secretly enticed, or my mouth hath kissed my hand, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Kiss your own hand. Do it. How, that's the most self-indulgent thing you can do, isn't it? It's the most self-indulgent thing you can do. So what's happening? This man has looked up into the heavens and he's clearly seen the brightness of God. And yet he's been enticed to kiss his own hand. He's been enticed. He's been pulled away. Look at verse 28. This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge. For I should have denied the God that is above You know, it's no light thing to stare into the face of God and say no. Some of you take it too lightly. It's no no light thing to refuse the revelation that God has given you. That's no light thing. And you should consider it with sobriety. And some of you this morning, you need to repent of the fact that you have been staring God in the face, maybe for days, maybe for months, maybe for weeks or years. You've been looking into the face of God and you know exactly what he would have for you to do and yet you've continually refused him. I'm telling you, look, the end of that is judgment. The end of that is destruction. And Paul lays out for us in in Romans, I'm going to read it to you and then I'm going to close in prayer. I want you to see where this line of thinking goes. Verse 21 of of Romans chapter 1 goes like this because that when they knew God they glorified him not as God neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened professing themselves to be wise they became fools and and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You keep telling God no. And you know what? All you're headed down toward is a path of destruction and idolatry. You will end up worshiping yourself. And when you do, the end of that is judgment. Guys, listen to me. We have to be a faith-filled ministry going out into the world and preaching. You know, God's preferred methodology is to use people to declare his name. That's his preferred methodology. No, he'll use the sun, he'll use the moon, but he wants to use you. And if we're going to do that in faith, then we have to get used to the idea idea of saying yes, yes to the faith proposition that stands before us. What is it that you have to say yes to today? Quit denying God what belongs to him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time in your word. We need you. And I know that you're calling all of us into greater faith. I know that you want all of us to follow you in a more rich way, in a more uh, devoted way. 
But God, all of us are in different places. And I know that there's people here this morning that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. And this morning, God, I pray that they would tug on the, on the shoulder of the person that's sitting next to them or the person that invited them to be here today. And they would ask, how can I be saved? That they would come and talk to me after the service, Lord, that they wouldn't be afraid and they wouldn't look you in the face any longer and say no. That the condemnation of their heart would be enough and that they would learn to say yes to you today. God, I pray for those people to accept you as their Lord and Savior and to be forgiven of their sins. God, there's other of us, others of us that know you and we've known you maybe for quite some time. And we look, we look on your face and, and yet we continue to deny you what it is that you want from our lives. Lord, I'm saying right now, would you show us how to grow in our faith? Would you show us how to step out on the precipice of a new faith? Stretch us, God. Make us conform to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. I ask that for myself and for all of these people. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.